You know, uh, it was in grade three. I was just about almost nine years old, the summer of grade three, that we moved into a new neighborhood. It, it wasn't brand new to us. We had lived there before, but then it moved in the first year of grade one. And then my dad went back to the job that he was working at, and that in, included a house on campus at Netherwood in Rosse, New Brunswick. And I remember that at that young age, I, I always had a playmate because I'm a twin brother. I have a twin sister. And, uh, and that's great. No complaints. No complaints about, you know, having a, a wonderful sister. Cheyenne's a lot of fun. But, um, you know, at, at some point, <clears throat> she didn't want to play trucks any longer. And I didn't care much about Barbies. And, uh, and, you know, that's where, that's where I first learned the strong art of negotiation. If you will, then I'll play with you. If you'll play trucks with me, then I'll play dolls with you. And, and that, that just went so long. You know, you, you learn that art. And sometimes if you're good, you can, you can get some time, play time together. And, uh, and, and you, you just kind of phase off into nowhere before you have to fulfill your end of the bargain. But I do remember that negotiation. But when that negotiation broke down, I remember my sister telling me, she said, we got to go find some friends. <laughs> I said, all right, let's go. And Cheyenne was far more outgoing than I was. She, she didn't have a fear in the world about anyone. And so I remember the march began from our door there on Nine Maiden Lane in Ross St. New Brunswick. And <clears throat> the next house was part of the campus. But the house beyond that happened to be a house owned by a gentleman by the name of Willie Ward. Willie Ward was the owner and operator of Shadow Lawn Inn in Ross St. New Brunswick. And he... Uh, he lived there. We didn't know that at the time. We were brand new to the neighborhood. So we walked up and knocked on the door. And I remember it taking a long time. And I'm there behind Cheyenne. She's about, you know, six inches taller than me. And I'm little brother, but, you know, same age, but little brother. And she's just standing right there. And we're waiting. And, you know, probably, I think, I'm pretty sure we knocked a few times before the response came. And finally, when the response came, the elderly, very elderly gentleman came to the door and I remember us both looking up. And Cheyenne, not even deterred, not slowed down at all, says, you got any kids we can play with? <laughs> I remember that like it was yesterday. And I remember his response. He had, a, he had an English accent. He said, oh, all of our children are grown and married. Oh, Mary, we don't have any children. Not to be deterred, on the search went through the neighborhood. And, uh, and we did find friends, thank God. <laughs> Pam Wallace lived across the road. And we connected with Pam. And then there were the Bonham children, Jeff and Lindsay, and then Sean Nagel across the street. And we connected with all those, those friends. And, and, and what was a place of isolation became a place of connection. And what was a place of what, we see, what seemed to be separation when we were willing to just open our door and connect with the people in our community became a neighborhood. And I think part of our whole goal today is just to, we wanted to send a clear message to everybody to ensure that you are welcome here in this neighborhood. That our church truly is your church. And maybe, 
Maybe to some of you, we're Willie Ward. We may be just a little old and antiquated. We may have a different accent or a different style and different than what you're used to. Well, I do want you to know that, that this neighborhood is your neighborhood. And, and we are so, I love Marysville. I love Fredericton. We love being a part of this community, a part of this city. And, uh, and I'm sure that you do too. But we, you know, when we, when we named, renamed our church because of our incorporation a few years ago, I think that, that we, we sat together with our team and, and talked about what we would like to be and what we would like to become. And Capital Community Church registered high on our radar because we truly are a community-oriented, community-focused church. I, I'm very, it was our privilege to open our doors for uh, voting people in our community to come today. We want, yeah, we want so many people to know that, <clears throat> that we are a part of this neighborhood. You know, neighborhood's not uh, a foreign idea in scripture, and neither are neighbors. As a matter of fact, neighbors are, are mentioned many times through scripture. And God has a very strong desire for us to be connected in multiple ways in our own lives to those around us. Um, if you were to turn with me, you'd find in, in Luke chapter 10 that there's a story. The Bible tells us that a certain lawyer um, stood up and came to Jesus. He was in this conversation. Jesus was teaching and this lawyer stands up. Smart guy. I'm sure that he's used to debate. He's used to dialogue. He's used to the interaction. And he, and he stands up and he, he tempts him. He tempts Jesus saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, Jesus responds. Now, let me just remind everybody. God is always going to take us back to his word. God's always going to point us back to the book. If you ever have a question mark in life, then you can find an exclamation mark in scripture. Whenever you have a question in your life, then God, he's not going to leave it subject to some idea that somebody has. And if we're not in the book, then we're not, we're not worth giving you an answer. But Jesus himself, the author of the law, points back to the law. He points back to scripture. And he says, what is written in the law? How do you read that? And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. So he's a smart lawyer. He's a good lawyer. He, but, <clears throat> but the Bible tells us that he doesn't end the conversation here. It says he's willing to justify himself. So you can tell there's a little bit of, uh, there's a contest going on. And, and Jesus isn't even in the He's not, he's not in a, what do you call it? A debate. Jesus isn't in a debate. He's in a dialogue. The lawyer's ready to debate, but Jesus is just ready to speak the truth. And, and if the lawyer can ever come back from the pedestal that he's standing on, or if he'd ever step back from the podium that he's preaching from, he'd realize that Jesus is speaking the truth that he needs to hear. He said, uh, he willing to justify himself said unto him, well, who's my neighbor? It, it seems like he's, he's, he's kind of, you know, what, what, am, what is my responsibility? What is, what is it that I need to do? And so let, let's just kind of re, refresh this content for a minute. There's four questions that are asked. There's two questions by the lawyer, and then there's two questions by Jesus. You know, the lawyer, his question, his first question, what must I do to inherit eternal life. It may have been a question of contest, but really it's the question that echoes the quest of every human heart. That somewhere beneath all of our activity and somewhere beneath everything that we do, there is a question about what happens after this. What happens after this life? What about that eternal life? 
What is my responsibility here to ensure that I do well there? What, what is it that I do in my life here right now? And, and so somewhere, it may have been that amongst his peers and amongst his friends, he was trying to, to make sure that, that he was standing strong, that this dialogue was something that he was doing well. But underneath all of that, I think that the quest comes through in the question. Because we know, we've all met people in seasons and in times when, when the barriers come down and the walls get erased. And, and the question that comes through is like, well, what do I have to do? What is it that I've got to do to inherit eternal life? That quest may start early in life. And for some, it starts late in life. For others, it's in the end of life that they begin to ask that question to seek an answer. And today, I think that we just, we, we, we have these four questions, but I think that we have some great answers. So why don't we just take a few minutes and unpack that. Is that okay? Can we do that together? Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. If you look in the New Living Translation, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He hath also set eternity in the human heart. It's okay for you to question what happens beyond this life because God placed something in your heart to make sure that it registers on your radar. This isn't all there is to this life. This isn't, this isn't all it is. I, I, I love this part. I, I enjoy this part. I, I'm privileged to be a part of a great family, a great church, a great community. I'm, I'm blessed with all that. But, but somewhere in, deep in my spirit, I know that there's something beyond this life because God has placed eternity in my heart. And, and I'll answer that part for you. God has placed eternity in your heart today. That, that quest that you have is, is not something, it's not just your, your uh, it's not just your, what is the word I'm looking for? This is when I need that, those lyrics from the song again. Carry on. Can we delete that from the video? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's part of a, that desire that we have to know more. Oh, that word. What is it? Next. <clears throat> if this is true, if that, <clears throat> if that scripture is true, then every one of us, that's not just, just you. It's something that God has placed in you to ensure that you just don't live life for the here and now. That you live life for the there and then. That's what this is all about. Yeah, that's okay. That's, that's not my word. That's, that's God's word. And, and, and sometimes we are <clears throat> desiring to, to justify ourselves. So in case that people wanted <clears throat> to justify themselves, in case I want to justify myself this morning, uh, let's, let's just answer a little bit of that question. If, if Jesus said to love our neighbor... And to love him was our responsibility. What is it that we need to do to ensure that we are loving our neighbor? How do we, how do we get there? Um, uh, show of hands this morning. What's, uh, do you know the name of Fred Flintstone's neighbor? Yeah, Barney Robo. Um, Tim the Toolman Taylor. Hatware and Wilson. Still don't know what his face looks like. Um, Dennis the Menace. Oh. I wonder if they're related. This may jog your memory. Take a look at this. 
I don't know. I don't know if you have a Mr. Wilson or if you got a Dennis the Menace. But <clears throat> we all we all have a responsibility to our neighbor. A responsibility to identify who their who our neighbor is. I You know, it's not just us talking about neighborhoods this morning and neighbors, but you know, McLean's, uh, McLean's magazine actually ran an article a while ago called The End of Neighbors, The End of Neighbors. And when we think through the context of our communities, we, we have it good in, in little old Fredericton, New Brunswick. It's a wonderful place to live. I think that we have a sense of community. I think that we have this, you know, this wonderful part of who we are. But I, I would also have to be careful to say that I think that we're losing some of that. And especially in the last 16 months where we have been isolated more than we ever have been before. When not even of our own volition or our own accord, we have been required to put fences up and not physical fences, but we've been required to isolate and quarantine and just be to ourselves. And, and that is the last thing that our community really needs. And I'm thankful for social, uh, well, I think I am. Um, yeah, just social networks that we're a part of. And I'm, I'm grateful for all of that. I, I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to connect beyond the here and now. And, and I, you know, to, to people that are beyond our borders and outside of our reach that I'm thankful for technology. But <clears throat> we do see a breakdown in connection in communities. You know, the article... 
itself spoke about an Australian sociologist that was investigating community responses to the wake of floods in the Queenland. She found that relationships and communities were in a precarious balance. That neighbors, listen, were hesitate to intrude even in the time and in places of emergencies because they didn't want to, 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 you know, bother their neighbor. In the middle of an emergency, they were hesitant because they hadn't connected. They, they didn't want that just to be that place of connection was because of an emergency. And she said that, <clears throat> that there was just this huge gap in communities because people were no longer neighborly. And it's not just McLean's Magazine. I, I have the whole article. We won't take time to read it. But, but also books are being written about, <clears throat> about what's happening in our neighborhoods. Two recent books, The, the Vanishing Neighbor by Mark <clears throat> Dunkelman and S Susan Pinker's The Village Effect, mind the data and sound loud warnings about the fact that our communities are losing neighbors. We live closer than we have to ever before. Our, our, our city requirements now allow 50-foot uh, road frontage, and, and we can put a driveway in there, and we can be closer physically to anybody than we ever have been before, but we can be further away than we ever have been because we are losing the sense of community, and people are losing the sense of responsibility that we have to our neighbors. I, don't, <laughs> I just thought to myself right now, not in my notes, I, I, I just thought... I hope my neighbors don't think that I'm, I've got an axe to grind this morning if they're watching online. Love my neighbors. I know their names. I don't have any Mr. Wilsons. I don't have any Dennis's menaces either. And if they're in their neighborhood, your neighborhood, we'll, we'll just leave them right there. But <clears throat> the benefit of Connection is very powerful. As a matter of fact, scientific studies have been done and proved that people that have strong social networks and people that are part of communities have a better chance of surviving heart attacks, strokes, AIDS, cancer. Uh, people with the most <clears throat> integrated social lives with overlapping relationships among friends, family, sports, and other recreation or religious pursuits have the best prognosis with the most life-threatening diseases. It's a powerful thing to be connected to community. And in the midst of all of that, if you did not have community, that's our goal today is to roll out the red carpet or even our new gray carpet and our almost newly painted walls and our almost completed foyer. Thanks, Pastor Matt, for mentioning that to let you know that this is part of your neighborhood. And so I think perhaps that an ancient story with not just a story, but a reminder mirrors a modern problem. I get the idea from our text that we read that the lawyer wasn't alone in that problem. And Jesus was addressing an audience that was greater than the few that were gathered there that day. He was talking to us. We need a neighborhood. We need neighbors that are connected, that love. He, uh, <clears throat> you know, the the lawyer needed to realize that he needed to extend, extend his territory. He needed to expand his network. He didn't, he didn't need to set limitations and try and minimize responsibility, but the way that Jesus would lay it out through Scripture and through his life was that we need to reach to everybody that we can, and we need to love everybody with an, come on, with an immeasurable love today.
You know, Jesus, in the end of that verse, said, this do and thou shalt live. This do and thou shalt live. And today, we aren't really living until we are willing to do two things that's echoed in that verse. One, love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And then to love our neighbor as ourself. As a matter of fact, if you go on through scripture, Jesus indicates that all of, all of the commandments of scripture hinge on those two commandments. So we, we've got this neighbor. We were talking about the neighborhood. Jesus' priority, he modeled it. Jesus' priority was people. The word neighbor is found 135 times in scripture. And the concept and the commandment is there for us to love our neighbor. Luke 10, there's a story. You've heard about it. The Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The, the religious structure of the day failed him. With all of their commandments, 513 laws and torts that they were required to, to obey, somewhere in the midst of all of their responsibility in religion, they missed the greatest element that Jesus was giving, and that was to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus uses this story to communicate to everybody because the religious system was broken down. The, the, the person that everybody thought would just walk by was the one person that stopped. And I'm wondering today if we can just uh, take a moment in this service and intentionally examine ourselves and say, in, in light of scripture and in light of God's presence in this room this morning, to say, is there something that we could be doing? As a church, I mean, it's right there in scripture. Jesus said religion's not going to do it. We've got to be careful as a church that our religion isn't something that we hide behind or that these four walls don't become our little community because our community, church, is much greater than this. Our community is bigger than these four walls. Our, our community, as a matter of fact, our responsibility doesn't even end with the, the city line of Fredericton. Doesn't end with the suburbs of our, doesn't end with OCC. I'm so excited about what's happening down there this morning. But it goes beyond that because we have a responsibility to everybody. Everybody is our neighbor. You know, the story of the Good Samaritan hinges on the one verse in, in verse 33 where it says that Jesus had compassion on him. And if we can allow the compassion of Christ to become the compassion that we have, we can change our world. We can the compassion to reach, the compassion, the compassion to love. You'll find it through scripture. Jesus had it over and over and over again. It says that he was, the Bible tells us that he was moved with compassion. Because when you have the compassion of Christ, you will be moved to help others, to love others. So I think we've got that part down. That's one of two questions. We can come back to the music this morning. One of two questions, the responsibility that we have to one another. But the whole Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached about talks about more than just uh, a limitation. It talks about extending our responsibility. It talks about the hard and difficult relationships that we have. I'll remind you. I'll remind you what Jesus thought. Uh, uh, let, let me just 
blow our minds for a minute about the neighborhood, the neighbors that we pick. Here's his neighborhood. Love your enemies. Bless those who mistreat you. <laughs> Don't demand your rights. Give to everyone who asks of you. Treat everyone the same way you'd want them to treat you. Do good to those who've done nothing for you and won't repay you. Freely share what you have been expecting in return. Be merciful to people who are ungrateful. Don't judge or condemn anyone, even if he deserves it. And then recognize the immeasurable blessing of giving without reservation. Jesus said, your neighborhood is bigger than you think. Your neighborhood. But all of that, if we just talked about and we left Sunday morning service with a, a sense of responsibility to the people around us, if we left this morning committed to making an impact in our community, if we left this morning determined that we were going to make a difference, that would be wonderful. But that still wouldn't end the conversation that Christ had with the lawyer because there were two questions. One was, who was my neighbor? But the other question was, what am I going to do to inherit eternal life? You see, that's why those two commandments are the, the hinge that the door of salvation swings on. Because if we can get this connection with people right, that's one half of the hinge. We also have to get this connection with Christ right. Love your neighbor for sure. But the other part of the equation is about loving God. You know, the strongest symbol and sign that we have in our culture of love is the marriage covenant. Not a marriage license, that's a civic document. We do that because government requires a contract. But God requires this word called covenant. God requires covenant. Covenant's deeper than contract. Covenant is in spite of what comes my way, I will maintain covenant. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love, to cherish, till death do us part according to God's holy word. Said that right here. And then it's that awkward part where the preacher has to stand there while the couple kisses. Go ahead, you may now kiss your bride. Or the awkward, <laughs> or it could be awkward for the couple if the preacher's like. Go ahead, kiss her. But in the midst of that marriage ceremony that we all have come so accustomed to. It really is about a covenant that a couple are making before people and before God. And then we intend and decide and plan and work to ensure that that covenant becomes a part of the concrete part of our relationship. And it's necessary and so if we, you know, if we look at it deeply, then you'll find in Scripture that, that that marriage covenant is really a picture of another covenant between God and His church.
between him and the bride of Christ. And that's what that picture is in the book of Revelation, this bride prepared for her groom in white, pure garments. That's what God calls us to become, the church, the bride of Christ. So how do we as the church enter into that covenant? Not a contract. God's not interested in a contract today. God's interested in us entering into covenant because that love that we have for each other has also got to be mirrored with our love for God. But how do we do that? I'll tell you how we do it. We enter into covenant with God. You say, well, how do you enter into covenant with God? Covenant's this Old Testament word that sounds odd. In com- it's, it's, well, let me just tell you that the covenant came about any theologian, any church historian, any, any good set of, <clears throat> of Bible encyclopedias will tell you that the birth of the church happened in Acts chapter 2. That's the birthday of the church. It's, it's the birthday of the church, but really it's a covenant because God, from, <clears throat> from Genesis all the way to Acts, lays the groundwork for covenant. He lays the groundwork for how we enter into this relationship. He, he lays the groundwork for our connection with each other. But then he says, here's how you ensure that this covenant is maintained and began. It's Peter. He, he steps out. It's Acts 2. The church is in an upper room. And, and this 120 believers are filled with the baptism of the Spirit. And Peter, full of the anointing of the Holy Ghost, steps out into human history and declares to humanity that Jesus was the Savior that was crucified on the cross. But that that crucifixion, as final as it appeared and as much of the end as it looked like to them, was not the end. It was really a brand new beginning. And Peter's sermon is so good that it leaves the crowd with the same question of the certain lawyer that we read in our text. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, and when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. When they heard the preaching of Peter about the cross of Calvary and the Christ that paid the price and his blood that flowed for the for our sin to be paid for. It says when, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were moved and they, they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I'll fill in the rest of the thing. What shall we do to inherit eternal life? What shall we, what do we do now? And Peter, the Bible says that he had the keys of the kingdom. Jesus had already given them to him. So here's the keys. The keys go in the lock and Peter turns the lock of that door for humanity that opens salvation, covenant. Peter said unto them, repent, turn. Repent. Move away from your will. Move to God's will. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. What promise? The promise of eternal life. What shall we do? Here's what you do. The promise of eternal life is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Our church is not just your church. Our church is that church. 
Our church is that church because our goal, our intention, our focus, our, our responsibility that we have is that we ensure that there is a place for people to come. Because if they get this right, there's still another part of the equation that they have to get right. They've got to get this right. And to get that right, that's why we exist. We exist so that people can come to an altar and turn their life around. They can make a place of commitment. They come to this place and they say, I, I don't want to live like I've been living. I, I want God to intervene in my life. I, I need help. I need, I need help from someone beyond here and now. I need help from him. And I'm coming to an altar to repent. We have a baptismal tank that is filled with water. It's warm. We've got baptismal robes. We tell people we are 24-7 on baptism. If you call us tonight at 10.30 p.m., it'll be lights out at the Lehman residence, I'm telling you. It's early morning. It's a big day. We're excited time 10 30 hits I'll be in bed but if somebody calls and said I'd like to be baptized in Jesus name for the remission of my sins guess what slippers are coming on Mr. Wilson's crawling out of the bed because baptism is an essential part of your relationship covenant with God that's how you step into covenant that's how you walk into that position with God and and he promised, if we do our part, then he promised that Peter just said, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For that promise is unto you, to your children, and to people that are sitting at Capital Community Church, 71 Downing Street, September the 12th, 2021, 10, sorry, 11.04 a.m. I'm late. It's for you. I wonder if you'd stand together with me this morning. This church is that church. That's what Peter said. This is that. He reached back to the book of Joel, said this is that, which was prophesied. What Joel talked about is what we are. I'd like to reach back to Peter and say this is that. This is that today. This is a church that believes that still happens. This is a church that believes that God still transforms lives. This is a church that you can find your way to eternal life because it's right there in the Word. Like Jesus, we're going to point you back to the book. We're going to take a look at the book, and then we're going to say, here's what we need to do. I wonder if you pray together with me, because I do believe that there's that little touch of God's presence that's moved in this room, and someone is making a commitment to one another, and people are making a commitment to God this morning. And my prayer is that you'll just remember the simple lesson that's been taught by t-shirt wearing, blazer sporting preacher today. You pray with us. Father, but we are so very grateful for the help that comes from you. And God, I know there are people today that we've done all we can do. God, we've done to the best of our ability, we've done it to the best of our skill set. But God, there, there's this other element, there's another level, there's another dimension that you speak of where the help comes from you, that supernatural level. I pray that that would move in this room this morning. And God, that you would begin to work in people's lives. People are broken, people are hurting. God, we have people today that 
have need of healing, you, you promised that you would help heal our bodies, whether it's emotional, physical, or God, then you reached to the supernatural and you said that you would minister to our spiritual man. I pray today, God, that you would transform lives because of the moments that we've had together. I'm asking, Father, this morning that someone would make a commitment today to come into covenant with you. God, we ask it in your powerful and in your precious name. Would someone just speak the name of Jesus with me in Jesus' name this morning? What if you just lift your hands and thank God that he's heard us today? I'll just make that prayer personal for a moment. The songwriter said it like this. It's easy.